0: I'd like to invite you to find um, page 1014 in your Sanctuary Bible. That's Luke 2, 1 through 20, our very familiar uh, passage. And I'm going to, this is the one that is always in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. So that's how you know. (laughs) Right? Am I right? Yep. This is, can you believe that was on national TV like every year? still is like, oh, oh, okay. Good. So uh, before we begin, I want to mention a little bit about somebody that is is, um, named in this passage, and that is somebody named Caesar Augustus, whose name was actually Octavian, but he was renamed Augustus by the Imperial Senate or the Roman Senate. Uh, And Augustus, he was given that name because under his rule, Rome experienced a great amount of peace and actually prosperity. There was relative. A uh, civil, not unrest, but rest. They called it the Pax Romana or the Roman Peace. And it was actually a pretty, it was like the beginning of the Golden Age, part of the Golden Age for the Roman Empire. And so uh, they, they renamed him Augustus and he was the emperor who was in charge when Jesus was born. Just in real short order, and there won't be a quiz after this, but after he died, or he, he passed on power to somebody named Tiberius, Tiberius Caesar, who was an okay, an okay Caesar. After him came one of the worst emperors that Rome has ever had, named Caligula. And if you want to give yourself a nightmare, read up on Caligula and what he did. It was horrible. After that was uh, his uncle, actually Claudius, came to power, who was sort of a so-so. Emperor. He was kind of sickly. He preferred to read books of history than to rule. He was kind of like human celery, you know, just like, not much flavor. Probably good for you, but you know, maybe not that good for you. Who knows? Just, just there. Uh, but after him was somebody that we also know. After Claudius, who was sort of so-so, was somebody named Nero as the emperor, who was horrible as well. Probably just as bad as Caligula. Perhaps worse because he was able to rule for longer than Caligula did. So we have a trajectory in the Roman Empire of of things starting out pretty well, at least around the time of the birth of Jesus. Augustus, whose name was Octavian, Tiberius, and then it gets worse, pretty bad. Caligula, Claudius, and then Nero. Now we think that Jesus was probably born, surprise, surprise, not at zero, all right, not between 1 B.C. and 1 A.D. We think he was born maybe around 4 B.C. If he was born during the reign of Herod the Great, which is, uh, as we have a record of in the scriptures. So we think that Jesus was born around 4 B.C. And, that's, and, and so, you know, when the year 2000 came around, <laughs> and people were like, it's going to happen, you know, the end of the world, and you're like, well, how are you counting? Are you, don't you know that 2,000 years since the birth of Jesus was probably 1996? Oh, well, you know. We didn't count for that. Uh, it was it was not a very uh, intellectually rigorous argument that people were making at that time, but we think Jesus was born around four B.C. and so um, that, that and so this was the time of the census. The time of the census that we're going to read about next is a time was the time when Jesus right about when he was born because we read that Mary and Joseph go to their hometown of uh, or their ancestral home of Bethlehem to be counted. Now, often a census in that time was greeted with a whole lot of resistance and revolt because, if you think about this, if the Roman Empire wanted to do a census, it meant two things. They were going well, to count all the people. That's what the census was. But two things were going to come from that. Taxes would go up because they would say, oh, look how many more people there are here now. Let's raise the taxes on all of them. The other is that they'd have an accurate count of the number of young men who could be conscripted into army service. And all of these people would lose a whole generation of people to the empire and to the empire's army. And so uh, usually censuses were met with a lot of hostility. This census, there's really not much record of this census outside of the Bible. And Luke tells us that everybody more or less dutifully followed through with this census. They didn't resist it. And that was actually probably a reflection of how well people thought of Augustus at the time. They thought of him as a wise ruler, a a peaceful ruler, and so there wasn't a lot of pushback against this particular census. People, um, in fact, some people might have even been glad for it. They might have been glad for uh, the fact that they could walk around in peace in the Roman Empire, go on the roads without being uh, stolen from or attacked, and so... The, the Pax Romana, as we call it, was in some ways was a blessing. There was safety, there was freedom. If Rome conquered a territory, it also protected it from other people. It protected it from other uh, invading forces outside of the empire. And so, um, it might have been safe enough for a husband and his wife, pregnant with their child, to travel just the two of them for over a hundred miles through the countryside. It's also possible that they traveled in part of a caravan. We don't know. But they traveled, we know they traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So that's the introduction, a little bit of the background of the time that Jesus was born into and what the world looked like when he was born. And with that, let's go to our reading. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger For your word. And we ask that you would add your blessing to it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a hidden paradox in our reading today, something of a paradox. We rate read in this reading that people dutifully, it seems, everyone, without exception, now there may have been exception, but without exception as far as Luke is concerned, complied with this imperial census, and all went to their own hometown to be registered or enrolled in this census. This census that was going to raise their taxes and take their young men off to war. And as I said, we haven't found other records of this, which may mean that this was a census that kind of went off smoothly. People just went along with it this time, and so there wasn't a whole lot of fuss about it. And that's how the world was when Jesus was born. This is the time that Luke is writing about. The time that he's writing about, as we understand it, about 4 B.C. The paradox, perhaps, for us, is that was not what the world looked like when Luke wrote it. It was what it looked like in the time that he wrote about 4 B.C. But at the time that Luke wrote this, we think it may have been about 80 80 maybe 84 years after this event. And this was 12 years after Nero had died, and everybody remembered how bad Nero was. And it was 10 years after Jerusalem had been totally destroyed following a revolt of the Jews. And so the people reading this for the first time might have marveled at themselves, uh, at the reading, saying, there was a census and everybody went. No mention of sort of revolts or wars over that census. So, also, there's no apparent conflict, as people read this, of any conflict between Jesus and Caesar. His parents don't engage in any kind of civil disobedience by not going to the census place in Bethlehem. And so, the trust in the Roman Empire was very high at the time of Jesus' birth. In fact, people were so enamored with Octavian or or, uh, Augustus that sometimes they would make statues of him, and underneath the statue they would inscribe the word Savior. Isn't that interesting? The Lord, the Savior, our emperor. Into that world comes somebody else who's called the Savior. So what a great contrast that you have a baby born in nowhere to some some nobodies, at least compared to the emperor. Mary and Joseph were not really important people. They were to God, by all means. But to the rest of the world, they weren't that important. That their child would be called by a, a heavenly host of angels, the same name that the emperor of the whole Roman Empire was called, savior of the world. Also, that the angels would tell this to another group of nobodies, the shepherds, who then would go and see for themselves. Over the years, trust in this empire was totally eroded away as it was headed by people who every year they were less and less capable at running the empire, and they were more and more vicious in the way they treated people around them, and particularly Christians. And so by the time that people were reading Luke, by the time they were reading Luke, they had no hope in the empire at all. They had no hope for Roman peace. They had no hope for protection. They, they, they really, and the great thing, I guess, about this, the only great thing about this, is that they could only have hope in the one that Luke wrote about. They could only have hope, then, in Jesus. What that makes me wonder is, maybe we need to recapture that today. Let me tell you a little bit what I mean. I I think we can have trust in so many things that will ultimately fail us. Think about that. Um, you may have a decent bank account right now. You may have a 401k or a 403b or some other numbers and letters with letters behind them that sound good. Um, and you, maybe you could put your trust in that. Right? Uh, you may be able to trust in the government that you have right now. Or maybe not. Maybe, you, maybe you're quite skeptical of it. Um, There are things in this world that look grand. There are things in this world that look trustworthy. They look sturdy. You think you could build something on top of them. Um, There's things in this world that we think we can make sense of them, and we can even congratulate ourselves if we think we've figured out the processes that make this world go. And we think we can even systematize that somehow and make it predictable and then turn it to our benefit. I mean, we do this. We do this with the world. We do this. We try to make sense of our world, and we try to turn it to our benefit, and we try to put our trust in it all the time. It's how we're wired. It's our default mode. We're not wired innately to put our trust in God. That's something that only God can teach us how to do. On our own, we're not going to be able to have much hope in that. We're going to often put our hope in the things that we can see, the things that we can touch, The things that we can control or that we have an illusion that we can control. I just imagine that the people who got the very first copy of Luke's manuscript. And at the top it said, the gospel according to Luke. And they they looked at their fingers and there was ink blots on their thumbs. Because the ink was still drying on this thing, this piece of manuscript. And they read this thing. And they didn't have any illusions about a good government because they had none. They had none of that. They had no hope in their government. They had no hope that by the time they were finished reading this document, they wouldn't be arrested. They didn't have hope that they wouldn't be grabbed and thrown uh, into an arena full of lions and eaten alive or thrown into the same arena and forced to fight each other to death for the amusement of the crowds. This is what was happening to the followers of Jesus by the time Luke was writing this. Not, when he, not the time he was writing about, but the time when he was writing this. The first readers of this book, they could have been put on a cross like the Savior that they were reading about in that manuscript. All they had when they started reading this was a story about a baby. A nobody born to nobodies in nowhere, testified by angels to nobodies who came and then looked at the nobody. It was not a big deal to the rest of the world. All they had was a little baby, the real Savior, who stood in the starkest contrast to the pretender, the emperor. You know, I just don't understand how the Christian church was able to thrive and increase in this time of its life, except that the Spirit of God was at work in people. Because basically, when they found other people and told them about the gospel, they said, in essence, would you like to join my religion? Uh, the benefits are that you could get killed tomorrow because you're doing so. <laughs> and and the, the people are like, you, you failed at business school or something. I mean, you're a, the worst salesman I've ever met. You are not, you're not selling this well uh, and of course, nowadays, it, it, it doesn't look like that anymore. We have the opposite. We have the prosperity people who say, become a Christian and God will make you healthy and wealthy and wise, and you're going to plunder your enemy's uh, uh, riches. I don't know how that works. And, and that's, that's false. That's a lie. You know, we, we're not taken in by that. Thank God. I hope we're not. But how did that church thrive and grow and multiply, and do amazing things, if not that all they had was Jesus. All they had was a child. All they had was the baby in the manger to hold on to. And there was nothing else in their life that they could hold on to. So they held on to that baby with everything they had. Every ounce, every fiber in their existence, they held on. And then some of them suffered for it. But they found a peace in that. That the Pax Romana could never equal. I can't say anything else at Christmas except for this. I have nothing else left worth holding on to except Jesus. If I look at things honestly, if I look at the world around me, there are so many things that I could put my trust in, and I probably do. I mean, I'll be honest, I probably do. But they're not going to last. They're not sturdy. They're not trustworthy in the long run. There's nothing in this world worth holding on to compared to the baby Jesus. Compared to the son of nobody's born in nowhere, heralded by angels, witnessed by shepherds, treasured and pondered over by Mary, nothing in this world compares to that little baby. And you put all our hopes on such a small thing. An infant is so helpless. We know he grows up. We know he grows up into the world and does amazing things. But that's how God works. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity. Lives as man or lives with us, with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. That will last. The baby Jesus. So I just want to say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Jesus loves you. I love you too. Hold on to him. There's nothing else. And celebrate what a great gift we have. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Help us to hold on to him like nothing else. Amen.